If you have your Bible, I would encourage you to turn to Romans chapter 8. That's where we'll be today, Romans chapter 8. It's good to be here with you all. I'm glad to be here. Uh, welcome, good morning to all those online in the balcony and to all of you here today. Uh, today we'll read from Romans chapter 8. And what we're really doing today is, first off, we are defining what the Holy Spirit is. And then we are zooming in on determining the work of the Spirit. So in Romans chapter 8 really unpacks the work of the Spirit in our lives today. What I hope is the outcome of this sermon series is I want you to fall in love with God. Because when we really see Him, when we see His character and His magnificence and His glory and how He is, I hope that it causes us to want to pursue Him and love Him all the more. So that is what I hope. Today, with our microscopes in hand, we come to Romans chapter 8 and let us look at the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers. Today we begin in verse 1 and we'll go to verse 15. Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do, weak as it was... God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. As an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness." But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, then you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Amen. Heavenly Father, we are here this morning. We are not seeking to absorb glory for ourselves. We are here to reflect it back to you and then to give it all the more. Lord, I pray that as we go forth today, as we open your scripture, and we see the Holy Spirit and who He is and the work of the Holy Spirit in the world and in our lives, I pray that we would uh, learn with our mind, but then we would live it out. And we'd have a deeper emotional love for you. Thank you for this morning. And I thank you for the church, uh, Calvary Bible Church. And uh, we lift this all up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. It's great to be here with you all today. Thanks for being here. Good morning to all those tuning in online. To kind of give you some context, what we have been talking about the last month, we have 
been doing systematic theology, we are answering the question, what does the whole Bible say about God? The first week, I think it was February 7th, we kind of set up our guardrails for our discussion for the month. And then two weeks ago, we defined something that is beyond logic to really fully understand. And why is that? Because we are finite and God is infinite. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the triunity of God, that God is one essence Yes, three persons, amen? So then we talked about the, the tension that we see here. And then, I guess it was last week, we talked about God the Father and then God the Son. And then today, we spend a whole week just on God the Holy Spirit. And why? Because we revere the Father, we love the Son, and we misunderstand the Spirit. My hope for today is twofold. I hope that, number one, that you would understand more clearly who the Holy Spirit is, His role in your life, and then, number two, I would hope that you would live by the Spirit. So I want you to understand who the Spirit is, and then live by the Spirit. But this morning, I'd like to begin with a story. I would like to begin with a story. For the very first time, I encountered the Spirit of God. As you... Uh, as you all likely know, I grew up here at Calvary Bible Church, and as you can tell, we are a very conservative and modest church, okay? But believe it or not, 25 years ago, when I first started coming to church here, it was even more modest. Uh, in matter of fact, my dad tortured me every morning by making me, on Sundays, wear a suit. Now, I'm sorry if that offends parents in the room. I don't see any suits on any children. But that was like being tortured alive as a 10-year-old boy, okay? And then he was so adamant about me wearing a suit that I would have to go home, take out my hanger, you know, fold it along the creases, and so it would be perfect, ready for the next Sunday morning. That was my childhood, okay? And that was my childhood here at Calvary Bible Church. So I grew up in this very modest, very conservative, kind of classy-type church tormented by a suit, and, and, and then at 16 years old, I encountered the Spirit. I was 16 years old, and I, was, I liked some girl at the time, okay? so she invited me to some Christian, probably youth conference in Hamilton, Alabama, and I had never been to Hamilton. If you've been to Hamilton, there's a small town in West Alabama, and I just went, because I didn't really care about God at the time, I just liked this girl, and I'm sure you can relate to some of y'all, y'all got spiritual because you liked somebody, okay. And then I went to Hamilton, Alabama, and I had no idea what I was walking into. I get there, and the first two hours I, were slightly traumatizing, okay? The first two hours, stuff was happening that I had never seen before. There were people, you know, you've seen it on TV, and you might have seen it in person, but, you know, the, the preacher's going up to somebody, hitting them in the head, and, seeing it, and then the person faints and convulses right there on the floor. And then I remember the preacher one time went up to some girl, this teenage girl, and he said, in the power of the Spirit, you will no longer struggle with self-esteem. And then he smacked her in the head, and she fell backwards, okay? And then I remember one woman walking up to this teenage girl and whispering something in her ear. And then this teenage girl just collapses and just sobs uncontrollably. But it got weirder, okay? This is, okay, keep in mind, this is black and, black and white, night and day. I have never seen anything like this before. I've heard of these things existing, but I've never seen it in person. And then that night, the man came in. I will call him, for the sake of the story, the Holy Spirit candy man, okay? Because he handed out the Spirit of God like candy. 
he was some fire and brimstone preacher, and this guy is up there preaching, right? And it's, it's that night, and there's 1,500 people in this room, and the whole room is going ballistic. I mean, people are speaking in gibberish and tongues, and people are falling down, and people are having seizures, and people are convulsing, and I'm just terrified out of my mind because of the group conservative modest church and then and then all of a sudden um he said something on that stage that i will never forget some 25 years later i remember it he said come down forward and receive the gift of tongues so guess what happened 1500 people get up out of their seats come forward and the whole front of the sanctuary is full of people speaking in tongues okay now everybody is up front except for one person this guy, okay, I'm still in my seat, terrified out of my mind, okay, and it's just the craziest night in church history for me, okay, and then I ride home with this girl and her family that I liked, and we started talking about what happened that night, and I began talking theologically, you know, why I didn't go forward, and this girl said, well, it's okay, Byron, God forgives you, and, um, yeah, that crush didn't last very much longer. It, but is that the Spirit? Can a preacher hand out the Spirit of God like candy? Is, are, are the revivals that you see on YouTube of Benny Hinn hitting people with his jacket and people falling over, is that the Spirit of God and the work of his nature? But friends, listen to me, in, in an effort to understand the Spirit, typically what we do in order to really incorporate the Spirit into church services, we either abuse the Spirit of God or we neglect the Spirit of God. We either abuse the Spirit of God or we neglect the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is here today and He is working. But what does that look like in our lives? Not what, not, not what I think it looks like, not what the Holy Spirit Candyman in Hamilton, Alabama says it looks like, but what does the Spirit of God's work in our life look like today? That is our quest. And that is what I hope we find out today. Today, can I give you a, an idea of where my sermon is going? First, we will define who the Holy Spirit is, what is His work, and then we will close with what is His work in my life. So part one is really defining the Holy Spirit, and then part two is discovering or determining the Spirit's work. Now if you have your notes, I would encourage you to get some. You can get up. If you didn't grab one, you're welcome to. You're not going to distract me. But I'm going to do my best to kind of help you follow along with these notes today. So let's define the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? One of the best ways that you can figure out and define someone is by understanding the names by which they are called. For example, if you really wanted to understand my life, you would have to understand the names I go by. I go by dad, I go by pastor, I go by Byron, I go by husband, I go by business owner. Right? All of these help to define who I am as a person. So then who is the Holy Spirit? Believe it or not, the Holy Spirit has many, many, many different names in the Scripture. And I'm going to read some of them very quickly to you. The Holy Spirit is named the Spirit of your Father in Matthew chapter 10, verse 20. The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of Truth, the Spirit of Zoe, the Spirit of Life, the Spirit of Adoption. The Spirit is called Lord. 
the Holy Spirit of promise, the comfort of their spirit of glory, and the Holy Spirit is God. And in a sense, the Son is the executor of the Father's will, and the Holy Spirit is the custodian of the Father's will. So allow me to kind of put it all together. I defined it very quickly because the second half of my sermon is going to be very deep and very long and very thorough. So let me define who the Holy Spirit is just kind of right up front for our discussion. The Holy Spirit is fully God. Acts chapter 5 verse 4. One third of the triunity of God who embodies truth, gives life, comforts, and guides, and is co-equal in glory, proceeding from the Father and the Son, and providing custodianship over the Father's will. Let me say all that again. I know you're trying to, I see a lot of you trying to track it with me. The Holy Spirit is fully God. Acts chapter 5 verse 4. One third of the triunity of God, who embodies truth, gives life, comforts and guides, and is co-equal in glory, proceeding from the Father and the Son, and providing custodianship over the Father's will. Raise your hand if you need me to repeat that one more time. Everybody catch it? Okay, one more time. All right. The Holy Spirit is fully God. One third of the triunity of God who embodies truth, gives life, comforts, and guides, and is co-equal in glory, proceeding from the Father and the Son, and providing custodianship over the Father's will. That is who the Holy Spirit in the Scripture is. So that's, I I very quickly wanted to just kind of define it and kind of set the stage, let us understand who the Holy Spirit is, that He is fully God, part of the triunity of God the Father, that that we believe in one God, yet three persons. One of the persons who is fully God is the Holy Spirit, who is the Holy Spirit of promise, the Spirit of life, the Spirit of truth, and so forth. But for the rest of our time, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about the the work of the Holy Spirit. And there's going to be, I believe, five different things that he, that I'm just going to describe for us. Excuse me, six different things. Number one, the Holy Spirit's work in creation is breathing life into mankind. Breathing life into mankind. When is the first time the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the scripture? I'm hearing it. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. We know Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and then oftentimes we... Kind of read over verse 2. Verse 1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void. And darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. So at the very beginning of time, we not only see God's creation, but then we see the triunity of God, the, the tension of three in one, right at the beginning, before man is even created. That the Spirit of God literally fluttered over the waters. As we talked about last week, the Father is the planner of creation and redemption. The Son is the executor of the Father's will. But according to Job 33 verse 4, the Spirit breathed life into mankind. Number two, the Holy Spirit's work in the Scripture or in the Bible. He, the Holy Spirit inspired men to write God's Word. And I know that this whole month has been a little bit heavy, but I hope you can hang in there with me and just dive in deep. And today will be by far the deepest out of all of our conversations. The Holy Spirit inspired men to write God's Word. 
If you don't have this verse highlighted in your Bible, I would encourage you to do so. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. But know this. He's drawing their attention. But know this. Listen. Watch out. But know this. First of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Spirit spoke from God. Why is that significant? Because the Scripture that you have in your hand was not messed up by men. It was written by God Himself. I, I thought about that verse this week, and it just brought me tremendous comfort that the scripture that we unpack every week was not messed up by men and sinful flesh, but it was written by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God inspired men to write the very words of God. And what does that tell you? What does it tell you? First Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. What does that tell you? It tells me what? That the Bible is truth. Can you say that? The Bible is and friends, I've been preaching the scripture. I mean, I've been teaching it since I was like 16 years old. And I've been preaching on a full-time basis for almost 10 years. And every week that goes by, I am more and more convinced that the Bible is truth. There are things in here that cannot be explained by human rationale. Like the 70 weeks of Daniel. The scripture is truth. Why? It is because it was written by the Holy Spirit upon men. Number three, the Holy Spirit's work in the life of Christ. Jesus' conception was by the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 1 verse 35 states that the babe of Jesus would be conceived by the Holy Spirit because Mary was a virgin. I'm going to take a time out real quick for just a second. Have you ever thought, we kind of breeze over the whole virgin birth thing, you know, and we, because we read it every Christmas and we just don't really think about it. But why is the virgin birth important? Let me, let me go further. Why is the virgin birth a non-negotiable doctrine of the faith? Is because if Jesus is not born of the Holy Spirit, then he inherits Adam's original sin in Romans chapter 5. Therefore, he is tarnished by sin and is insufficient to pay for the sins of the world. The conception of the Virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit is a non-negotiable doctrine because it voids Jesus of Adam's original sin. Did I lose y'all? Romans chapter 5. The Holy Spirit conceived Jesus in the Virgin Mary. The Holy Spirit led Jesus... You see it throughout the Gospels. He led Jesus through his ministry and through temptation. Pause. Luke 4, Matthew 4. If the Holy Spirit led Jesus through temptation, then what does that tell you about your life? And then the Holy Spirit played a role in Jesus' resurrection. Romans chapter 1, verse 4. Number four, the Holy Spirit is at work in the world. The Holy Spirit is at work in the world. He is at work in at least two ways. Number one, the Holy Spirit is the restrainer of evil. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Now, I know that text does not explicitly mention the Holy Spirit, but most scholars believe that the restrainer of evil that is mentioned there is the Holy Spirit. And then number two, to the world, the Holy Spirit's role and work is to convict. To convict us to believe, convict us of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. What does it say in John 16, 8 through 11? 
And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. So the Spirit's work in the world, he is a restrainer and he convicts of sin. And this is where I'm really going to camp. Five and six is where I'm going to camp the rest of our time together. What is the Holy Spirit's work in salvation? In bringing you to saving grace and in your life today when it comes to salvation. The Holy Spirit convicts us to believe. The first blank, in, in salvation, the Holy Spirit convicts us to believe. Let me ask you the question, who are you? You are finite, and God is infinite. Let's kind of put that one to the side for just a second. But what does it say according to Ephesians chapter 2? It says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. So what is the role of the spirit in the non-believer's life? It is to convict them to believe in Jesus Christ as Savior of their life. The Holy Spirit convicts the world to believe. In salvation, the Holy Spirit, number two, regenerates. Regenerates. We're going to talk about this. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. The word regenerating here means to be made new, to be born again, to become a new creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away, and behold, new things have come. In other words, when you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that something changes in your life. If you have come to believe in Jesus as Lord of your life and nothing has changed, if you have never been regenerated, born again, then you probably didn't believe in Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. Because when you believe, something changes. Amen? The way that we tell that somebody has believed in Jesus Christ is not the words that come out of their mouth, but by the lives that they live. By change that happens. The Holy Spirit convicts us to believe and regenerates. I'm going to do a shameless plug real quick. I did not write this book, so I guess it's not shameless. Okay. But this is a book called Survey of Bible Doctrine. It's by a guy named Charles Ryrie. If you do not, if you want a kind of a really simple, concise, uh, treatise of systematic theology and doctrine, this is a really good book to pick up, a survey of Bible document by Charles Ryrie, and Ryrie says this in this particular section of the scripture, he says, while faith and regeneration are closely associated, the two, are, the two ideas are distinct, faith being the human responsibility and the channel through which God's grace is received, the regeneration being God's supernatural act of imparting to them eternal life. The two must happen together, and any attempt to place one chronologically before the other cannot be more than a useless academic exercise. Okay, how many of you have ever argued, I have, and I'll tell you a story in just a second, how many of you have ever argued over which one comes first, faith or regeneration? Okay, alright. What is Ryrie saying? I didn't say this, so don't be mad at me, okay? What is Ryrie saying is that the, the very argument in that case is kind of a useless academic exercise. It is, if you remember the triangle here, the pyramid, guess where? Arguing over the timing of regeneration and faith. It's in the ambivalent section. Sometimes you're just better not to talk about it. 
Matter of fact, uh, some time ago, some person I have never met in my life before, they were a first-time visitor here. <laughs> it was right after my sermon, and if you've ever wondered why I'm kind of out of it after my sermon, it's just because my head, were, head was in the clouds for like 45 minutes, okay? So this, this woman w- ran up to me after one of my sermons, and she said, Byron, which one do you believe? Do you believe that re- regeneration comes first or faith comes first? Now, I did not give her the right answer because I never saw her again. And to be honest with you, I don't remember really what I said. But it really, if we make that timing a big issue, we're really spending our world in the ambivalent section. For the best, biblically speaking, I think it is best that regeneration of faith kind of happens simultaneously. So the Holy Spirit convicts us to believe, it regenerates us, and then number three, it indwells us. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon people. It would anoint people. That's why David says in Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a step of spirit within me. Do not take your presence from me. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. It's saying to me a willing spirit. David is asking for in Psalm 51 for the Holy Spirit not to be taken from him. That's how the Holy Spirit worked upon the saints of, in the Old Testament. It would come upon them. You see that with Saul. You see that with David. You see that with many saints. But we are different. Amen? Praise the Lord for it. That when you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, not only are you born again, but you have the Holy Spirit permanently indwelling in you. You have something that the world does not have. You have God inside of you, leading you, guiding you into all truth, into all things. I'm going to pause. Friends, um, Maybe I'm just speaking from personal experience here, but our lives are so crazy. Can I get an amen? And our lives are so full of distractions, we can't even probably take a shower without watching YouTube, okay? I mean, it's weird. We can't help but listen to music and distract ourselves with so many things. How can we really expect to be led by the Spirit if that is our life all the time? How can we expect... To really tap into the the Spirit of God living in our lives and dwelling inside of us. If we're so busy all the time. If we're so distracted. Let's do this instead. Let us turn down the volume in life. And turn up the volume in the Spirit in our lives. Why? Because the Spirit of God indwells in you. He lives in you. You are given a gift that the Old Testament saints never had. The Spirit of God in the work of salvation... Convicts, regenerates, indwells, and then it baptizes. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. Now what does this mean? This is different than we would say with water baptism. These are kind of two different ideas here. The Holy Spirit baptizes. The word baptism is the Greek word baptizo. Baptizo, excuse me, I missaid that one. It, is, it, it means, it's the Greek word for baptism. It means to dip or to immerse. But it also can mean to being brought under the transforming power or influence of another thing. According to the tense in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, the baptism of the Spirit, a lot of people disagree with that, the baptism of the Spirit is a one-time occurrence, that at the moment you believe you are regenerated and dwelt and baptized, but then the Spirit of God will slowly bring you under the transforming power of 
his nature. The Holy Spirit regenerates, dwells, baptizes, and then he seals. What does that mean? What do you think it means? If you were to read through the book of Ephesians, you come to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30, and you see that you are sealed through the Holy Spirit of promise, how would you interpret that to mean? That word seal is a signet ring seal. It is pushing down the wax to give the Father's authentication of your faith, but also that no one can tamper with it. There is a doctrine that is floating around in a lot of evangelical circles that we can lose our salvation. Now, if you knew me in college, this was a really big issue. I was about 20, 21 years old. I was a UH student in business degree, and I was sitting in a small group with another bunch of UH students, and one of these guys was teaching that you could lose your salvation. And I remember struggling. I mean, I remember going to Pastor Gary, who was the pastor here at the time, trying to understand, can I really lose my salvation? And then, and then the thought popped into my mind that am I sealed or am I not sealed? Can I lose something that I have been sealed by God? Did God seal me to himself or not? Am I a child of God or not? I mean, think about how cruel. I mean, just think about the, the, the craziness if you could lose your salvation. Think about all of the promises that happen when you believe in Jesus Christ. Not only are you dwelt by the Holy Spirit, but you have so many promises, which we'll notice in Romans chapter 8 here in just a moment. But just think about the rug being pulled out from underneath your feet, that the moment you believe in Jesus Christ, you are called a child of God. And then all of a sudden you're not? Because you lost it? Imagine God adopting us as his child, and then all of a sudden, oh, you're my child, and you have, you're an heir of God and co-heirs with Christ, and you have all these blessings, and all of a sudden, we stop believing and we're kicked out of the family of God. That is insanity. That when you believe in Jesus Christ, once saved, always saved. You cannot lose what you did not earn. If you did nothing to earn your salvation, then what can you do to lose your salvation? In salvation, the Spirit convicts, regenerates, and dwells, baptizes, and seals. And now we talk about the Holy Spirit's work in sanctification or the Holy Spirit's work in your life. This is the great mystery. This is where it gets difficult to understand how the Holy Spirit works in my life. Friends, like I said, we either abuse the Spirit of God or we neglect Him out of fear for it. We revere the Father, we love the Son, and we misunderstand the Spirit. What is the Spirit's role in your life if you're a believer in Jesus Christ? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. If you have your scripture, you can go there. I'm going to kind of bounce from here over to Romans chapter 8. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, reads this. It says, And do not be drunk with wine, for that is foolishness or dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And what does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? Verse 19 through 20. First, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Second, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And third, be subjective, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And we are commanded in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, to be under control of the Spirit. And the evidence of being under control of the Spirit is in our speech, in our internal thankfulness, and in our humility. You didn't know that today was going to be such a fire hose. Okay. But what else is the role of the Spirit in the life of the believer? What else has the Spirit given to us? 
what I'm going to ask you. What is mentioned? What is mentioned in 1 Peter 4, Ephesians 4, Romans 12, and 1 Corinthians 12? What is mentioned in all four of those passages? Spiritual gifts. That if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have trusted in Him as Lord of your life, not only are you regenerated, not only are you indwelt, not only are you sealed and baptized, not only are you all those things, but you also have been given a spiritual gift. Why? So that you can serve as part of the spiritual organism of the church. That you can make a difference for the kingdom of God here inside the church. That you are, the, the moment you believe, the Spirit of God gave you a gift for you to exercise. But what else is the role of the Spirit in your life? Number two is freedom. Romans chapter 8 verses 1 and 2. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Notice what it says in verse 2. It says, for the law of the Spirit of life. The Spirit is life. Pause. A lifeless Christian isn't a Christian. I know I've said that before, but a lifeless Christian isn't a Christian because the Spirit is life. It has given you life. Not only eternal life, but earthly abundant life. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give life, and that may, you may have it abundantly. But then notice what it says in verse 2. For the, Spirit, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What is the role of the Holy Spirit in your life? It has given you freedom. It has set you free. Those, those four words in the, in the English are one word in the original language. It is the Greek aorist tense. It is a past event that is done and over with. It happened already. That the moment you believe in Jesus Christ, at that moment you have been set free from the chains of sin and death. You are regenerated, you are sealed, you are indwelt, and you are set free. You are liberated. And you do not have to live ensnared to sin. Friends, we as Christians... Let's just peel the wall down a little bit. Let's just really talk to the person that you are. We all, from time to time, have sins in our life that ensnare us. Amen? Just things in our life that we seem that we just cannot kick. But guess what? You are not ensnared to sin, but you are set free. You have a choice. You do not have to live under the weight of that guilt and shame and that addiction, but you can live free from it because the Spirit of God lives and dwells inside of you and has given you freedom. What is the Holy Spirit's role in your life? Number two is freedom. Number three is peace. Verse six of Romans chapter eight. And the things of the Spirit, for the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. Peeled on the wall again. Do you have peace in your life? What is that evidence of? For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. If there is no peace in your life, then what does it tell you about your mind? That you're setting it on flesh and death. But if you set your mind on the spirit, you have life and peace. Number four, you have victory. Romans chapter 8, verse 13. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. 
The Spirit's work in your life is not only can you have peace, not only are you set free, but now you can have victory over the sin which so easily entangles us. There are three forces working against you, working against your spiritual growth. There is the devil, there is the world, and the flesh. To the devil, what does it say in Ephesians chapter 6? Strap on the full armor of God. To the world, combat it with truth. And to the flesh, put to death the deeds of the body and you will live. Number five, what is the Spirit's work in your life? It is direction. Verse 14, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. The Spirit of God leads you. So what should you do? Turn down the volume of craziness in your life, in YouTube, and distractions, and turn up the Spirit in a soft voice that is trying to lead you and to guide you into all righteousness. Number six, what is the Spirit's work in your life? Number six is confidence. We have not received a spirit leading to slavery, leading to slavery again. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And then number seven, Romans chapter eight, verse 26 and 27. What is the work of the spirit in my life? He intercedes. He intercedes. In the same way, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. We do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. A life that is under control by the Spirit will have peace, confidence, freedom, victory, and direction. Turn up. Turn up the volume of the Spirit and turn down the volume of the world. That you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, that you've been set free from the chains of sin and death. You do not have to live ensnared to sin. You do not have to be confused about the direction of your life. But the Lord has given you inside of you. He dwells you with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he is desiring to lead you into all righteousness. So be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18. Today I want you to understand the Spirit and then live out the Spirit. That is my, those are my two goals today. So this is what I want you to do this week. Each week in this series, I have given you a homework assignment. And this is no different. Last week we talked about how we should make three different columns of who I am, who God is, what He's done for me, and then what does God want me to do out of this. This week I want you to do something a little bit different. What I want you to do is I want you to read the book of Ephesians. I want you to read all six chapters in the book of Ephesians. Now, let me pause for a second. I thought about getting you guys to do a word study and get, looking up every instance where the, the word spirit is mentioned in the New Testament, and then I realized that there are 383 times that the spirit is mentioned in the New Testament. And I thought that might be a little arduous for one week assignment. So I gave mercy. Okay, but this week I want you to do something instead. I want you to read the book of Ephesians, cover to cover. And I want you to circle every time the word spirit is used in that book. There are 14 times. I want you to circle every time the spirit is used, that word. I want you to read it through, circle it. And then what I want you to do is I want you to go back for the rest of the week. And I want you to look at each time the word spirit is used. And then ask yourself the question, what does this tell me about the spirit of God? And how do I apply it to my life? So read the book of Ephesians, circle the word spirit, and then go back and ask the Lord, how does the spirit work in my life?
Every week I share the gospel. The gospel simply is, the Greek word behind that is euangelion. It means the good news. I know I share it every week, and sometimes I can share it just out of roteness, so to speak, and I hope it never becomes that. The gospel is this, that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. That that is the gospel in a nutshell, that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. If you are here today, if you're tuning in online, if you're searching for God, then you are in the right place. Because you are in a room full of people who found God and whose lives have been changed forever by God through Christ Jesus. If you want to be changed, if you want to be regenerated, if you want to be sealed, if you want to have direction in your life and understand what it means to walk by the Spirit, if you want that, then go to the Lord. Pray to Him. And confess your sin. Say something like this to the Lord. I don't believe in magic words. Okay? But say something like, I'm a sinner. Lord, thank you that you've died for my sin. I believe in you as Lord and Savior of my life. I believe this. I believe the Lord convicts people to believe. I believe that biblically and I believe that practically. Is the Lord convicting you to believe? Every man that serves on the Elder Deacon Board that was there at the Elder Deacon Retreat back in January said that the Lord was convicting them to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord of their life. If you are there today, the Lord is calling you to believe in His Son. Believe and be changed forever. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Uh, I know today was probably a bit deeper than, than normal. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would just kind of take it home with us and, and digest it and, and see the Holy Spirit, see who it really is. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would turn down the volume of the world. We would turn down the volume of the flesh. We would turn off the volume of the devil. And Lord, that we turn up the volume on your spirit and your word. And let us be led and be filled by the spirit. Let us be lights to the world. Be the salt of the earth. Be a city set on a hill. To be different. To have our veils lifted up. And to be changed. And be living by the spirit. Lord, thank you for this church. And thank you for its devotion to you. The people here amaze me with the faithfulness that they have. Thank you for our church and our And their love for you and love for your word. Thank you for today. We lift it up to you. In Jesus' name, amen.